Chapter Twenty Four of From Mud to Mufti by Bruce Bairn's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four: Verdun, Underground Halls, Death and Devastation. A large French staff car appeared before the hotel at about nine o'clock in the morning. I left with a French officer guide and a chauffeur. The road was long and winding, and it is a famous road, that being the main artery which feeds the salient. As we went along, we passed an incessant stream of motor lorries proceeding in both directions. A vast traffic was here, I could see, and my mind immediately flew to the thoughts of the mighty mechanism behind it all. Long, apparently never-ending streams of motor lorries carrying food and ammunition, followed by another stream carrying fresh soldiers for the fray. The backward freight consisted of battle-worn poilus being taken back for short but urgent rest. The road was charged with all the tense electrical seriousness of the great battles of Verdun. Our car dashed along past all this traffic, and I gathered from the milestones we would soon be inside of the historic city. At last we were there. We entered under a huge stone-built gateway giving entrance through the walls of the citadel. Guards challenged us and looked at our passports. All was well, and entering the town we proceeded slowly along. Huge, massive walls were on either side, walls built for defensive purposes at a very much earlier date. We stopped at an arched, dark opening on the left. This opening was the entrance to a massive stone tunnel, and led to the interior of the underground fortress. We got out of the car, and the French officer led me into the tunnel. That underground system at Verdun is truly wonderful. Long, electrically lit passages take one into great arched stone halls where there is room and equipment for everything and everybody. We went along a series of passages and up sundry stone stairs, down others, more passages, until we arrived at the quarters of the French general commanding the citadel. Here I was introduced to the general and my visit explained. The general expressed a wish to show me the town and fortress that day. This more than pleased me, as of course I wished to see everything, and as soon as possible. The general ordered his car round, and was good enough to ask me to come with him on a tour of inspection. We drove slowly through the town. It was impossible for the Germans to see into the town, as they had been prevented from gaining the heights commanding the place. But from the monstrous shell-holes and demolition round I saw clearly that they went in for extensive shelling on the off-chance of making themselves a nuisance. I was shown a lot of the interesting historic buildings of Verdun, all more or less knocked about. The old walls of the city were very curious. The terrific shelling had blown away so much masonry and so many houses that another set of ancient walls had been exposed to view. Verdun is a most ancient town and has a very great historical interest. Mr. Attila and his Huns originally dashed through this place in their customary rude and pushing way, and were ultimately defeated utterly at Chalons-sur-Marne, which is not very far away. I went into the cathedral. Such a pitiful mess it was in. Piles of smashed and twisted metal, originally priceless wrought ironwork, were lying on the chipped and scarred stone floor. The great decorative domed ceiling had a huge gaping shell hole in it, whilst several of the altars were torn and lacerated by shrapnel. It is a very ancient cathedral, and is most massive and magnificent in structure. We spent the rest of the day cruising around the various spots of interest in the city. 
Verdun stands on the Meuse and is surrounded by a series of hills, all about two miles away from the town and all held by the French. It was these hills that the Germans were after, and had they ever got them they could have dominated the town and knocked the bottom out of all the defenses. This they were precious near doing at one time, but the magnificent courage and heroic endurance of the French were too much for them. Towards evening we drove back to the underground department. The general invited myself and my officer guide to dinner that night, and ordered someone to show me where I was to sleep. I was led into a sort of dormitory full of wooded cubicles. One of these was to be mine. I sat on my bed and made some notes and rough sketches, then had a wash and brush up for dinner. At a little before the time, a French soldier called for me, something like the jailer coming for the doomed man to take him to the scaffold. I followed this soldier to my doom. We went down another set of maze-like passages and ultimately entered the dining-room. A huge vaulted hall with several rows of tables met my gaze. The room was rapidly filling with a great number of French officers. The whole scene was full of life and bustle. The pulsating flicker of rather yellow electric light flooded the place. Soldier servants and cooks were working with enthusiastic vigor at preparing the feast. Two tables ran down the center of this vaulted hall, and one across the top end at right angles to the other. The room was soon full, and the general entered. He took his seat at the center of the top table and summoned me to sit beside him. The dinner started. I wished he had let me be at the far end of the junior officer's table or amongst the cooks and waiters. High places at these functions always end in my eating nothing. A great rattling roar of people talking and eating now filled the place, and I worked hard at my poor French to evolve sentences for the benefit of the general and the other officers round about. I'm sure that dear old general mistook me for an ambassador or something. At the end of dinner he made a speech referring to me in the middle of it, and later on a band played God Save the King, during which I had to bear the scrutiny of about two hundred pairs of eyes whilst all stood to attention. I was honored, but uncomfortable. The evening concluded in a most cordial and happy way with a smoking concert. The next few days I spent in examining the outer defenses of Verdun. I went to see the famous forts of Douaumont and Vaux. I was shown where the various German attacks had been beaten and all the ground over which the French had fought during those long anxious months which were vital to the whole cause of the Allies. And what a dreadful country it was. I looked out from Souville Ford on to the ground around Fleury and Douaumont. The land seemed to radiate nothing but an atmosphere of death and decay from its dull brown shell-churned surface. As I looked, heavy shells were bursting continuously over the French advance trenches and over the broken remains of Douaumont Fort. Souville marked the spot that had proved a Waterloo for the Germans. Out on the ground in front lay the unburied remains of many who had fallen, and everywhere the ground was littered with old rusty broken rifles, bayonets, and bombs. Mud was everywhere in gigantic quantities, and everything within sight seemed to be blasted and destroyed. A truly ghastly sight was this land around those outer forts, steeped as it was in all the full fury of the worst kind of war that man could make. As I anticipated, this Verdun salient was quite on a par with the horror of Ypres. I picked up an old bayonet to take away with me as a souvenir, and it now hangs with other trophies in my Warwickshire home. 
We had just left Souville to return and had hardly gone thirty yards when a heavy shell crashed alongside the place where we had been standing. Almost immediately the woods behind seemed to burst into life with French guns barking more death and more destruction at the Germans. And so that relentless argument went on, and day after day the death-charged atmosphere reigned over the Verdun salient, ultimately bringing the world's greatest disappointment to Germany and its gospel of brute force. I was glad to leave that area. It was a long time before I could forget the horrible look of that unearthly ground before the forts. We returned through the mutilated Souville forest into Verdun. I went to see the general, and thanking him very much for the facilities he had so kindly granted me, awaited the car to take me away. I was glad now and very pleased with things in general. I had spent a night in Verdun and had seen it all. This seemed to form the cap to my interesting French army experiences. Now I would return to Paris and then to England, after which I should begin my series of drawings from the French front. I had seen them in comparative quiet on the Yser, and in hell at Verdun. I knew their story. I knew their feelings and outlook. I was charged with the atmosphere and had amassed a great volume of detail. My job was over for the present. Now for civilization, by which I mean escape from the devastating mental nausea of the war areas. The car came round and took me to Bar-le-Duc, from where I went by train to Paris, in a few days, I was back in England once more. End of chapter 24 Recording by Philip Gould